Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to those places where you have those mastermind experiences. When you meet somebody who gives you that aha moment or sit in on that conversation that in its own unanticipated way transforms your life, your business, or your thinking. You may hear birds chirping in the background as is happening right now. You may hear ambient conversation from a nearby table. You may hear a car drifting by. Right now, we're coming to you from my high-tech studio, which is the balcony of my sumptuous apartment here in Las Vegas, known to some, at least me, as the hottest city in the world. And what we're going to discuss today is building your customer master plan, which you're going to find to be, I believe, a very, very intriguing topic. We're going to get into customer segmentation messaging to your customers, finding the correct marketing methods to grow your business. There are so many different ways you could market your business. I think over the past 500 and some episodes of Business Creators Radio, we've touched on all of them multiple times. But the question is, what's best for you? To help us bifurcate, disambiguate, and consolidate, we have with us today, Chloe Thomas. And Chloe is a best-selling author, international speaker, and host of both the award-winning e-commerce master plan podcast and the brand new Keep Optimizing podcast. Chloe's one of the top 30 e-commerce influencers for 2021, according to Scurry, and her podcasts are regularly included in lists of the top e-commerce and marketing podcasts in the world. She's been in this industry for nearly 20 years. She actually started as an entrepreneur the same year I did in 2003 and has worked client side, agency side, and advisor side, which is part of the reason I'm so excited to have her with us today. There's more, and I'm going to let her tell you. But for now, Chloe Thomas, come on in. The weather's fine. Hello, Adam. Lovely to be chatting with you. Thanks for inviting me onto your show. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure I'm worried to be here. And this is my show. Just all these things you've done. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, what it's, about, it's, I'm sorry, go right ahead. I was saying it's been an interesting couple of decades. Indeed. So uh, let's, before we get into our topic, which I myself am quite enthused about, what we like to do here is go beyond the bio and have you tell us a bit in your own words about what has brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So if you could share some of those insights, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, sure. It's been a career of kind of accidents and ending up making the most of 
the new opportunities that technology has provided. So, you know, um, many people will have forgotten that e-commerce was even possible back in the uh, those early 2000s. But but that's where I got to really get my accidentally get my my uh, my toenails and my claws into the world <laughs> of e-commerce. Uh, and I just haven't been able to look back. I often, you know, in, I interview a lot of people and I always ask them, how did you get into e-commerce? And a lot of them, it happened by accident. But when they got used to the data and seeing the money roll in um, as a result of whatever marketing you were doing, that was it. They were hooked for life. And that was certainly the case for me. Um, and then I accidentally ended up running um, a marketing agency, uh, which was a lot of fun for 10 years. Uh, but whilst doing that, I realized that what I really wanted to do was to help as many business owners as possible to make better marketing decisions. And it's quite hard to do that when you're also trying to flog them Google ads or email marketing services. So that's why I started my now business, ecommercemasterplan.com. And, you know, I tried lots of different ways of trying to help people. And I found that podcasting, as I'm sure you have, Adam, is one of the best ways of allowing people to know what the op options are for them and to find ways. And the books, I guess, are the best way to help find them find the right way to move forward, to give them those tools and insights to, to get there. So, so yeah, I, I hope that answers your question, but yeah, that's a, kind of the, the sideways glance at what's happened over the last 20 years. Well, that's an interesting perspective. I've never had, at least to my knowledge, anybody take it sideways before. So <laughs> I'm already loving the challenging of paradigms here. Actually, my primary line of business is working with entrepreneurs to launch their podcasts, their key networking, client attraction, celebrity expert branding tool. There was a point in my life for three years where I didn't know where I wanted to be when I grew up. And the only marketing I had, the only networking I had, the only client attraction I had, the only celebrity expert branding I had was through hosting this show right here, the Business Creators Radio Show. I like to say that this saved my life, but what I think it really did was give me the opportunity to go through that journey of finding what it was that really seemed to be my intersection of my brilliance and my passion without having to scramble and do it overnight. And in the meantime, continue to monetize the business without even being sure exactly what business I wanted to be in. I landed a couple of my biggest accounts that have been some of my greatest clients during that time period where I barely even had a website because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, so, and I yeah. see that, and I see that you have actually done quite a thing with podcasting yourself. When I hear things like being on the list of the top 30 or top 20, candidly, I sometimes get skeptical about that. However, I also know that to achieve that does require a certain amount of true success in podcasting. I like to say that, that the whole concept of listeners and downloads is absolute bullshit that will destroy your podcast. And the reason I say that is because listeners and downloads tend to be false metrics when measured by conventional means. All listen means is somebody clicked the play button. All download means is somebody downloaded a file. Neither one of those things indicate that uh, anybody consumed the content or that it was even targeted toward the appropriate audience. And some of those top 20 lists are simply pulled from metrics generated by syndication network, the same syndication networks that publish the lists. However, to be listed as a top 30 e-commerce influencer 
for Scurry, I know, is actually very prominent. And I have heard of you even before you showed up on our doorstep. So the influence and celebrity expert branding or something you're certainly actually accomplishing. And that's since so many people claim it, to have somebody actually do it is a major thing. Yeah, it's I, I like you, I'm quite skeptical of a top 10. <laughs> I love yeah. being mentioned in them, but I'm still quite skeptical of them. Um, the Scurry one, they actually did a whole load of maths on social media following and all kinds of crazy things. So that one there is quite well thought out. Um, but yeah, I yeah, they are they're interesting devices. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. Now, what I want to do here is I want to get into this whole thing of the customer master plan. And I know there are various segments that we want to get out of this, but there are a few intriguing questions you shared with me in the green room before we began. And this may take a slightly meandering path, but it's going to be, to me, the type of journey like you're walking down a trail in a nature preserve and you see all kinds of interesting attractions. You see the little bubbling brook there. You see the field where there's a little forest with some trees. You see the savanna and the grassland. Maybe you run into an actual, actual savanna cat walking by, which means, you know, there's a serval and a domestic that uh, are hovering somewhere in the vicinity. So picture a picturesque journey. And prepare to embark with us. The first thing is you described your current business as your agency escape plan. That mm -hmm. piqued my curiosity. Tell me about that. Yeah, sure. So as I, as I said earlier, I ended up running an agency by accident. I got right. a job working as head of e-commerce for a group of mail order brands in the UK, which was awesome. It was a kid in the candy shop job. It was so much fun. And part of that was that my boss wanted to turn what I was doing into a standalone consultancy agency to look after the, the digital marketing of more mail order businesses. So it kind of wasn't my idea, but it was an awful lot of fun and I was really glad to do it. But after five years of running the agency, I kind of came to a couple of realizations. One was the one I already mentioned, which was I wasn't, it wasn't the right way for me to be doing what I wanted to do. The other thing was I am an introvert. I'm a long way down the introvert scale. I'm, I'm good on a podcast. I'm good on a stage. Uh, I can manage networking if I'm in the right frame of mind, but gosh, does it exhaust me. And running a marketing agency where I had team, sales, and I had clients all requiring my time was exhausting. And it left me with no energy for anything but business and turned me into a bit of a mood hoover. You know, that person who sits in the corner of the room and you can just feel the waves of anger coming out. Yes. Them. You know what I mean? So I was like, right, I have to get out of this. And I'm sure a lot of people would say I should have just done it within 12 months. It took me five years uh, and it took me five years because I wanted, I had awesome, amazing people working for me and I didn't want to leave them high and dry. We had lovely clients and I wanted to find a way of exiting that didn't adversely affect other people. So learned an awful lot in those five years, more about me, more about the business and finally sold, um, which was a fascinating experience. But uh, yeah, e-commerce master plan from day one was a route to fulfill what I wanted to do and to create a business where I could both make money and have energy left at the end of the day to do something fun. There's so much 
to dissect <laughs> from that. Uh, when I started as an entrepreneur in 2003, it was actually a side hustle. And the original intention of my business was to work with training and development firms to research data for their presentations, collate data for books, and analyze data from employee surveys. This was in line with my goal of being in the training and development industry myself. Fast forward to 2005, when after two years of you know, what I re- realized retrospectively was me just simply not knowing what questions to ask and not even knowing there were questions that could be asking, I was able to make that a full-time gig. Within two weeks, due to stumbling across an opportunity, I found myself in the web design business, which I remained in for the next six years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the story sounded a... There are a few reasons I got out of that. Number one, the agency model drove me up a freaking wall. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second, and, and along with that, it felt like most of what I was doing in terms of that business was A, putting out fires all the time because I was working with, and these, they're all great people. Uh, but the fact is, is when you have contractors and virtual assistants for your business, who also have their own business, which is an appropriate model, naturally, they're not going to have the same level of investment in serving your customers because that's a degree removed, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that, there was only so much I could do to encourage their enthusiasm, and I ended up putting out a lot of fires over that. Uh, second thing is that it seemed like I spent most of my time other than putting out fires in distributing payments to everybody under the sun. And the third is that ultimately I felt like I was at least two degrees removed from the action, no matter what I did. And I was not, I mean, I, I had clients that barely knew their names and I just didn't want to be in that environment. I, it just didn't work for me plain and simple. As far as the introversion thing, I'm so introverted myself. They had to make a new category on the left side of the spectrum for me. (laughs) I I resonate with that. Yeah. (laughs) I can, I can totally dominate and regulate on a podcast, on a live stream interview, uh, conducting a webinar, being a webinar guest, speaking from stage. The challenge on the ladder, the speaking from stages. Oh, and then I got to deal with the people. (laughs) <laughs> there, it's not only because I have the ability to keep people out of food comas that I frequently get booked as the after lunch guy. It's also one of my own sweet spots because the fact that the lunch hour tends to be right before I go on stage is I can disappear from people for an hour because I need that just to that, prepare, I just need that to prepare myself. And mm. then what I need to work out afterwards is after I'm done speaking, are we going to take a break immediately? Uh, are we are we going to go to the back of the room with me here? What do you want me to do afterwards? Because if the answer to that question is, oh, well, as soon as you're done speaking, we want you to go take a seat in the audience. Well, the answer to that's going to be a, a succinct no. Oh, see, I can, <laughs> the, the energy of being on stage usually, usually gives me enough to get through the next hour and the people who want to come and talk to you but what i what i totally can't do at the end of an event is go to the party that right. just oh no 
no, no, no. I used to get through it with alcohol. And then I realized a few years ago, that was a terrible, terrible thing to do. So now I don't drink anymore. And I go back to my hotel room, get a takeaway or room service and have a lovely evening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need to know if uh, the expectation, if there's going to be like a break immediately afterwards, because I can do it if I have advanced notice to prepare the energy. Mm. Yeah. We were told, and, and part of this goes back to how we were socialized in school. And I think that a lot of school children still encounter this. And it's what I call participation points culture. It's the thing that screws up our meetings. Interesting. Tell what me I mean, more. What I, what I mean by that is I have an entire curriculum on this. I have the, I have the five unbreakable rules for meeting, for meeting success. I have the FIPSO formula for determining who the people are in the room and why they're in the room. I have actually an entire curriculum on this topic. What we discover is that one of the killers, the things that make meetings suck is participation points culture. This is where you get folks being called upon who actually don't have anything to contribute, who due to a combination of participation points culture and fear of being called out as being disengaged, will spend 13 minutes explaining how they have nothing to add. <laughs> or, the, or, the, or the phenomenon where folks will ask questions to which everybody already knows the answer just so they can be seen as leaning in and participating. Yeah, I, I find that quite frustrating at conferences you know, when you get to the Q&A section and someone's just like, yeah, I just need to ask a question. It's really important that one of my objectives, I'm going to ask questions in the sessions. And they get up and ask me just like, that gives no one any value. It's of no use at all. You should have just stayed sat down. But it's that whole, I need to participate thing that people just get ingrained. Sorry, I got quite ranty there. Sorry, Adam. Right. Oh, oh, that's, that's part of that's part of, <laughs> that's part of what this is about. So you yourself ran a marketing agency for 10 years and now you've made that transition into being an author, a podcast host, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So aside from what we discussed, is there anything else that drove that change? Um, I think when I, when I first started this business and leaving the agency, my plan was to do the whole book to webinar to one day course to coaching mastermind type thing. That was uh -huh. the original plan. And I realized that wasn't as much fun as I thought it was going to be because again, it's too much people time. So yeah. then I was, I was speaking on a, at a series of events organized by the government around the Southwest of the UK. And one of my fellow speakers was raving about podcasting and this was in about 2014. And um, I did what you should never mm -hmm. do as a speaker at an, at an event. And I went and spent the whole of the lunch hour talking to another speaker. I was like, go away delegates. We're talking. Yeah. Uh, which is a very, I don't do that normally, but I really needed Matt's opinion on podcasting. So, right. so I went, oh, this is interesting. I know my audience, e people running e-commerce brands, they are hard to get to leave their offices because there's always something to do and there's not a lot in it for them at networking events. They're quite That's odd. right. That's yeah, right. Quite odd in that way um, in terms of normal business selling. So I thought, oh, they can listen to my podcast whilst they're sat at their desk so I could reach them that way. And this whole podcasting thing sounds really cool because I get to have loads of cool conversations with people that are all off the record. So if I could put some of those conversations on the record, it would be kind of awesome. 
So I spent about six months preparing for this podcast launch, and um, and it's fair to six say six months. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I went. I went deep because I knew I needed to do it really well, and I knew I needed to clear enough space in my diary to do it. So it was a lot of kind of reorganizing things and delegating stuff. So as I had the space to really commit to it, and then, um, well, it's what seven years on now. So oh, um, oh, oh, yeah. okay, okay. This was before podcast reach existed. So all right, I don't feel bad now because otherwise well, I was going to say, "Damn it, where was I?" This was 2015. Yeah, yeah, we we could have so, yeah. we could we could have cut that by two thirds and probably gone <laughs> even gone even deeper. Uh, I designed yeah. a whole system around the analytical side of podcast launching, starting with avatar creation and three different types of avatars. Uh, the deep dive into the branding, the descriptions, and looking forensically mm-hmm. at who you bring on as your guests. So here's a here's a question for you in your estimation, Chloe. Mm-hmm. Whenever you host a podcast episode, who's your most important listener? Oh, that's an interesting one. There's an answer to this, but I want to see what yours is. When I'm hosting a guest, when I'm when I'm mid-interview, I am trying to get I'm trying to make the guest feel really comfortable and I'm trying to make sure that the guest is giving great advice that's going to help someone who's running probably a Shopify business, struggling with what to do with their marketing, and they're turning over somewhere between 100,000 and a million. Right. But who's your most important listener? That person. There you go. Your guest. Oh, you'd say the guest is the most important listener. Of course they are. They're the only person who's guaranteed to be there the entire time. The only person you're more or less guaranteed to have a separate conversation with. And other than you, they have more decision power than anybody else on earth as to whether or not that episode will ever see the light of day. That's a really interesting way of thinking about it. I'd never thought about it that way. Yeah. Uh Yeah. So for somebody in e-commerce, if you're running an e-commerce podcast, I would have to see your your show more. But I would be thinking of... If I were interviewing people, uh, depending on what my offer was from your perspective, like how you support people in e-commerce, but for the person who's in e-commerce, who's being a guest on your show, uh, I would think of how they can use that to form alliances to help them sell more of their stuff, to be extremely colloquial. And clearly for those who offer product solutions and services for e-commerce, how to reach more of them. So Overall, it's the guest who's the most important listener. And I've been saying that for many years. As I mentioned earlier, for three years, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And being a podcast host enabled me to actually grow my business without knowing what business I wanted to be in. Nice. Well, I'm gonna mu- I've am gonna. i got two long train journeys next week. So I'm going to put that on my list of things to think about as I'm traveling around the UK. So thank sure. you for that, Adam. All right. So... This is great foundational stuff, and I'd like our listeners to see the mastermind side of this, where you have the conversations and the folks bounce off each other's ideas and get inspired by one person's thoughts, and it's the ooh factor. Now, let's move into this customer master plan. I'm very curious about this myself. And as I mentioned at the top, there were a few things that we wanted to sort of get into a little bit. 
Now, this is going to be a very open-ended question, and you can take this however you want, mm-hmm. or whatever direction you want, but I'm leaving it open-ended on purpose because for the person who's looking to get into e-commerce, this is actually kind of open-ended. Many times they don't even know where to begin, is how do you understand who your customer segments really are? Well... That is an interesting question. Um, I like to try and simplify that because I think people get quite um, tied up and confused by demographics and psychographics and various elements. So I like to think of segmentation as being very much about the buyer journey. And then the other softer elements are more about what messaging you put out there. There's an amazing book that explains it an awful lot better than me by a guy called Michael R. Solomon called The New Chameleons, because what that basically means is that we are all now chameleons. So rather than, you know, 50 years ago, you were the housewife who lived in Nevada, who whose husband earned 60000 a year, probably not 50 years ago, but anyway, roll with me on this one, um, who had a Ford in the drive and who was in the market for a dishwasher. Nowadays, yeah. we are, um, you know, you might be the person who rents their work wardrobe but you buy your personal wardrobe and you're only a a recent grad, but you spend some of your money on going to big Michelin starred restaurants because you like the experience. And on TikTok, although you're a lawyer by day on TikTok, you are a foodie by night. And we have, we think differently and we behave differently and we have different needs depending on the different things we're buying, which is why I think we need to, to, to work on the core stuff we can control and then, for our segmentation and then more of the, kind of like the avatar, the messaging, the story side of it is where we bring in those softer pieces. And in the customer master plan model, that is designed around those basic buyer or, or path customer journey stages. Yeah. This, I mean, to me, it's so much easier to say, well, let me identify my customer segment than it is to reach them. And I believe that that housewife in Nevada who attempted to get involved with a multi-level marketing organization discovered that very early on. Yeah. Or who, or that's one example. And another is who decided to monetize her hobby, discovered that pretty early on as well is, oh, well, who's actually going to buy this stuff? Yeah, and it's... one of the reasons I created or the reasons I created the model were because I found too many people starting their decision-making process of where do I spend my time on my marketing? What should I be doing with my marketing at the wrong point? They go, we should do Facebook ads or they go, we should do more email or we should do a campaign about the fact that we, you can recycle our packaging. And it's like, no, that's not where you start. You start by looking at your that buyer journey and going, where are we at our weakest or where's the greatest opportunity? And that's what the model's all about, um, is reminding you to start from the bottom up and also helping you uh, you work out how to do it. So it, it starts with um, six circles going across the page and five arrows. Oh, so circles e- and arrows. I like diagrams and charts. I, yes. also, I also like acronyms and alliteration. So keep going. I'm liking this. <gasps> 
I don't have any acronyms or alliterations for you, I'm afraid. I can. I don't think I do, but maybe I will. But we'll go with we'll go with the diagram. So we got this, right. this, the six circles from left to right across the page, and there's an arrow between each of them. And each of the circles is the customer relationship level. So that's the relationship the customer's got to with your business. On the far right hand side, to start in the place you weren't anticipating, I was going to start. Um, We've got the regular buyers. These are the people who buy from you again and again and again. The next one in is repeat buyers. They bought from you twice. The one before that, first time buyers bought from you once. The one before that is inquirers. So you've got their email address. Before that, visitors, they've made it all the way to your website. And the one before that is the world, which is literally everyone in the world who hasn't Uh been to your website. And then the arrows between these circles are numbered from one to five, stage one being the world to visitors, stage two, visitors to inquirers, stage three, visitors to first-time buyers, and so forth until we get to number five. And it's also a reminder that where we do our work is in between the circles. So you might be going, well, we've got loads of people who bought from us during the pandemic, but we haven't got many of them coming back to buy again. So there's a big opportunity in in between first-time buyers and repeat buyers, which is stage four. So what can I do in stage four to improve performance? And there's everything from customer services to product to ops to marketing that you could do to improve the performance there. But then you know where you're focusing. You're not worried about your email sign-up rate. You're worried about how you improve the performance for those people. And I recommend that people choose one of these stages to focus on each month or each quarter if you're a smaller business and really work on improving it from every possible angle and then reassess um, and then work on another stage for the next month or quarter. Yeah. So what you're suggesting is that we shouldn't obsess over unsubscribes from our email list. Yep. I would definitely say you shouldn't obsess about unsubscribes (laughs) from your email list. Um, people are far more likely to stay subscribed and never open them than they are to uh, to actually bother to unsubscribe. So unsubscribe numbers are fairly um, iffy anyway. They're not really telling you anything all that useful. So yeah, definitely don't worry too much about your email unsubscribes. But it's the real message of, of the model is get focused and understand why you're focusing where you should be focusing. I find unsubscribes to be absolutely hilarious. It's it's like, I don't really look at them and I don't look at this stuff in detail, but every so often I'll dip into my email marketing platform and I will, <laughs> I will allow myself to be humorously entertained by some of the notes they leave me, uh, especially the ones that claim that they never wanted to receive the emails. Okay, so why did why did you opt in? Why do I have the why do I have the IP address? You know, I actually had somebody uh threaten to sue me and tried to have all my websites shut down because they claimed that I spammed them. Wow, that's quite quite excessive for an email person. Oh, they 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 went so far as to go on the internet and do uh do one of those Google searches for do it yourself cease and desist letter. Wow. And it was, it, I, I found out that they were acting up because apparently they contacted my hosting company and my hosting company contacted me saying, you know, there's this, there's this person that's calling us and 
we candidly think that they're that they're that they're like Hannibal Lecter level psychopaths, but they're claiming that uh, they they sent us an email, and uh, you probably received copies of it because they seem to have found your email address uh, where they have documented this whole thing about how they're trying to involve us in a conspiracy to send you unsolicited emails. I mean, this whack job even went so far as to describe in their mind that I was conspiring with my web host, with Apple, with Google, with Verizon, with uh, AT&T. And uh, they, and they sent this ridiculous email with, uh, with abuse at and take your pick of major company. Uh, And they alleged that I was, and they, and they were encouraging these companies to all to all sanction me. And they were asking these companies rhetorically, how do you feel that this that this spammer is implicating you in schemes to send me emails I didn't sign up for? Meanwhile, I had this, I had the re- additional records on this bozo. I had the IP mm-hmm. address in which the original opt-in came from, and I ran a triangulation report which anybody can do that showed it came from the same intersection where his office is located, which means he did it from his office. I'm also aware that the webinar he signed up for uh, took place on the same day that a ruling was handed down by a divorce court where among other things, the, the judge found petitioner, meaning him, we have lost petitioners. We have lost our faith in petitioners ability to tell the truth and also detailed how this person who was accusing me of being in a conspiracy to scam them had, uh, had uh, willfully lied about their financial situation to try to get out of child support. It's like, he okay. was having a very bad day, wasn't it? A very, very bad day. Uh, yeah. I think he was having a pretty bad life. And then I went and checked out uh, the, this, this asshole's Google reviews and Yelp reviews. And I'm thinking, this guy's not in jail. Why? <laughs> Some of the things I'm reading about this guy. Oh, my God. I'd love to say his name out loud, but I, I don't know. I tell this story because it's such an extreme, crazy outlier. And if I'm finding this humorous, I just I mean, right now, just for giggles, I went into my email marketing system. And this is ironic. Uh, one of my well, actually my newest paying clients just unsubscribed from receiving some of my emails. It's the craziest thing. They're still subscribed, but they went through and selectively removed themselves from some of my lists. Now, what am I going to do? Am I going to say, oh my God, the sky is falling. My customer just unsubscribed. What am I going to do? Or am I going to say, yeah, you probably just don't want as much in your inbox. And yeah, my, I, I think, and and, and, and and they're my elite paying customer anyway. What else do I have to sell them? We, well, yeah, I, I think it's um, I like it when people unsubscribe. You know, sometimes if I've done, if I've sent out an email that's a bit different to what we normally do, I'll go and have a look at who unsubscribed, and see if they're the people I like or the people I don't like. You know, if it's uh-huh. a load of people who are actually running brands, I might go, oh right, okay, maybe that's not the right content to be putting out there. But if it's, you know. If it's people who I'm not really bothered about, who aren't in my core audience, then, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not going to leave any sleep over it either way. But it's another interesting angle to, to understand on these things every yeah, now I, and again. I do, I do see people get really hung up on this and worried about the messages. So I tell that story and I still have 
all the documentation and receipts on that. Everything I described happened just as I described it. It's it was crazy, but even as it was happening, I thought it was just hilarious. <laughs> and it, uh, and uh, now now, but I and sometimes I see folks who will send these who will state reasons saying, "Oh, I'm." Uh, I, I really love your stuff, and I'm so sorry that I'm unsubscribing. It's just that right now I'm I'm not really needing this. I'm thinking, thinking we know each other. Just cool. Stop back if you need me again. You know, don't be apologetic. I certainly respect wanting to manage your inbox, uh, or they want to attempt to educate me on something. Uh, somebody unsubscribed from me once and said. You send way, way, way too many emails. So I went and made a video and posted it on YouTube uh, where I asked rhetorically the question, how many units are in a way, way, way too many? Did you get an answer? No. <laughs> I'm, still trying to, I'm still trying to figure it out. So this little segue I wanted to bring up because it's a very tangible illustration of where people sometimes get sidelined by what they're told they're supposed to care about. And another one, and you mentioned this, is the idea of using social media advertising like Facebook advertising. And I see folks who have really not even sure what business they want to be in uh, buy the Kool-Aid on Facebook advertising. I fell for it myself, myself once, so I know where they're coming from. And somebody described it to me thusly, and I've always believed this, that when you engage in that form of advertising, it's intended to amplify what's working, not create something when nothing is. Um, I'm, I slightly disagree with that. Because, Please do. Please do. The, the, you, don't, you don't have to agree with me. That's the best part about my show. Because a lot of um, startup and early stage e-commerce businesses will use some of their budget on Facebook ads to test out some ideas. So will this product go down with our target audience? You know, is this messaging going to work? Because you get results so fast. But that's not um, the, but it really, it still supports your point, Adam, and my point as well, which is that what you'd need to not do is go, oh, I should be doing Facebook ads. You need to go, I've got a problem getting first-time buyers to my website. Right. How am I going to go about fixing it? I've got a problem turning people who previously been to my website to get them back again to buy. How am I going to solve that? Or I've got an idea for a new product. How can I quickly get some customer research? You create the ad based on the outcome you're trying to get. Um and the stage of the journey that person is in. And that's what, that's the beauty of Facebook ads, but, and many other marketing channels, but you need to understand what you're trying to achieve, not just go, everybody else is doing Facebook ads. So I better go and do Facebook ads. And anyone who's feeling, oh my God, that's so embarrassing. I do that. Everybody does that. I was uh, mm -hmm. a few years back when I still did coaching, I was coaching um, a marketing manager of a, 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 a sizable, successful company in the UK. And they had four SKUs, four different products, which are all color variants of the same product, right? One product. Yeah. They went to an event run by a company who sell software that does machine learning to make your search results on your e-commerce website work better. Right. So it puts the in stock stuff and the best sellers to the top and it puts the out of stock to the bottom and does lots of other very, very clever things. And she got the call and we went, oh, it's an amazing event. I think I need to buy the software. It's like you've got four SKUs. 
you do not need to buy the software. And this is like a thousand pounds a month. But she'd been so taken in, a very, very successful marketer, that she just needed that, hold on. No, I don't need this. This this software is designed to solve a problem I don't have. And that's why we've always got to take it back to what we're actually trying to achieve. What problems are we trying yeah. to solve? What opportunities are we trying to take advantage of? Because it's, you know, I, I've run a marketing agency. Adam, you've run a marketing agency or sorry, web agency. Our Part of our job was to create a lot of noise about things and to talk about uh-huh. things a lot. And, you know, that sometimes leads people, if we do a really good job, leads people to want things they don't really want. So you've got to be a bit cynical about these things and, keep, and remember what you're actually trying to achieve. Well, sometimes what we have are solutions in search of problems. And I've seen exactly. that phenomenon as well. I've seen, I've seen people go to seminars and conferences and they'll buy every offer from the stage where they were told, if you don't use our service, you're not really in business. So yeah, they, like, uh, no, no, you, if you, if you're in business and you're billing people and you're providing <laughs> services or products, you're in business. Right. Uh, the, what is a cartoon I saw over 20 years ago remains just as pertinent today as it was then. And this is when e-learning was becoming a thing around 2002, 2003. And within the e-learning community, there was this cartoon that, kept making the rounds over and over and over again. It was like a meme right before social media became a thing. And it depicted the director of training and development in the CFO's office or the CEO's office and the, and the CEO or whoever it was telling the training and development director saying, I don't know what this e-learning thing is, but if you're telling us our competitor has one, then order us two. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like the no one ever got fired for buying IBM thing from all those decades ago. Like, yeah. yeah, terrible advice. Yeah, it's like it, it's it's like literally thinking of okay, well, if our competitor has one, if we don't have one, we're going to miss out. Really? Yeah. Really? I I don't know. I don't know. So aside from aside from understanding customer segments, you've given us some great insights of. Uh, at both the macro and micro level here, uh, what do we do to narrow down our message or streamline or or optimize our message to get it spot on to reach the segment or segments that we've identified as most likely to buy our stuff? Oh, that's a big old question, Adam. Um, I think this is, this is a toughie. This is where yeah. I see this is where this is where I struggle sometimes. Uh, this is why I have my own informal focus group on this stuff. I mean, you have the bankers of messages, right? The ones which essentially, due to the way our brains are programmed, uh, humans will respond to. So new, Uh bestseller, social proof, uh, FOMO, so fear of moving out, urgent, fear of missing out even, um, urgency. All those things are good messages to have in your arsenal, but... They aren't the, then you're not going to put that on the homepage. That's not going to be the first of your welcome emails as you're, you know, trying to convince someone to buy from you. It's not going to be the brand awareness ad that you're running on Facebook. So to work out what those are, the answer (coughs) resides in one place and one place only, and that's with your customers. So either you can look at your customer reviews, you can interview and chat to some of your customers, send them a questionnaire. You want 
text long text responses or long wording responses so you want to ask things like why do you buy from us why did i why did you choose our product ahead of someone else's uh, what makes you pleased you bought our product because you want to get them talking whether that's written or verbally um, so you get some real insight into what's working for them if you are a startup and you don't have any customers yet take a prototype or a first couple of ideas or a mini slide deck along to somewhere where your target customer gathers. So if there's, if you're selling, going to be selling clothing or food products and you can get a stand at a local market for a morning, go along, take the feedback, ask them how much they pay, what they think of it, who they think it would be useful for. Um, if you're a business, go along to some business networking. If you're selling to businesses, rather go along to some business networking events. And if all else fails, go to Starbucks and just, uh, just offer to buy some people coffee for five minutes of their time. But the customer has the answer as to the messaging you should be using. And the Really important thing to say at the moment, as we're seeing all costs rising for consumers, for businesses and everything, we're going to see a cash squeeze this year. So be ready for what you would think is normally your primary marketing message to be one that twists more towards the value that you're offering consumers. I'm not saying go heavy discounting. I'm saying be mindful of the fact that they are, even if they're in the you know, the, the economic segments who have got plenty of cash still, and who aren't being squeezed so hard, they're still being surrounded by a lot of talk about rising oil prices, cost of living crises, and all these lovely things we're all getting to hear about at the moment. So just be mindful of that as well and talk talk about value is a right. good thing too. Yeah, because I, I have no intention of lowering my prices. Me neither. Yeah, it's my 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 system is such that I cannot possibly lower my prices on it without devaluing it as a matter of fact. And I'm speaking through the voice of a lot of my listeners who feel the same way. Yeah. So you talk up the value, what it's, mm-hmm. what it's going to bring to people, how it's going to help them increase their sales, how it's going to help them in their life. If you're running an e-commerce store, start looking at bundles rather than um, just straight doing a big 20% discount or take a product that you want to clear out of the warehouse anyway and do that as the discount one for someone who really wants the discount, but but see what you can do to maintain those other prices. Don't just knee jerk, take 30% off everything because it's just just not a good play. No, it certainly is not. And what happens particularly, and I've seen this with clients of mine who are involved in e-commerce or selling information products online, those types of things, is relationships that open with a discount lead to expectations of that every single time. With one particular client of mine, I saw this over and over and over again. And for years, he was launching two to three new courses every year. I I actually kept a list so that I could check them off of once he went through the product launch formula or his variation thereof and made the product available to the general public. I'm just waiting. Okay, so here are the 12 names. I wonder how fast they're all going to show up saying, where's my coupon? Well, yeah, exactly. Because they got conditioned to the idea that they were entitled to one because they had been given one previously. Now the fight, now the codicil to that is about the four, the last four or five rounds, they'd all been told there isn't one, but they kept asking and kept assuming that they would be given one if they just kept asking. 
Yeah, you know, I worked for the very first uh, e-commerce business I worked for, I was an employee at, and the reason it went under, or one of the multiple reasons it went under, there's a whole book in why it went under, but one of the big ones was we had trained the customers to expect a 20% discount on a another category of what we were selling on a Tuesday or a Thursday. So Tuesday might be 20% off jewelry, Thursday might be 20% off garden. And they went waited until the product they wanted was 20% off before they bought. And we weren't buying at the level where we were getting our normal margin when we were giving 20% off. We were just right. giving away our profits. And when you train the customers to do that, it's just, you know, it's you're just damaging your business, fundamentally damaging your business. <laughs> Yeah, that, that becomes an issue. Now you have folks who might be otherwise ready to buy, and they have been trained that if they just sit around long enough, the price will go down or you'll offer some discount to clear it out. Yeah. So just wait. So just wait it out. Uh, and that doesn't, to me, that doesn't even build long-term relationships. That actually commoditizes it. I In my book, Groundhog Days, an event, not a business strategy, I tell the story of this one client that we had years ago. I mean, I'm talking 15, 20 years ago. This is ancient history. Uh, They had an e-commerce site, and they had seven long-form sales letters on it, a couple of which were niched variations of the primary sales letter. So it was probably like four sales letters, and one had three separate variations. And Every single week, they would come to us with these long Word documents with all these edits that they urgently needed made because their business was collapsing. <laughs> and what it, and what it was is they they would just they would just be gobsmacked every single time anybody gave them a quote unquote helpful suggestion or quote unquote constructive criticism. Uh, and anytime somebody tries to give me unsolicited advice. I say, hey, you know, I'm kind of busy here. So maybe I forgot. Did I pay you for coaching? So I take kind of the opposite tack on that. If I if I want to help, I'll ask for it and I'll usually pay for it because I'll value it more. Uh, See, I'll, but they, but I'll... yeah, but yeah, but they, yeah, let me finish this real quick. See, what happened is is uh, they would have us go through this and then would invoice them for it and then complain that the invoices were too high. And they say, well, we found this other company and they charge half your rates. So we're not going to work with you anymore. Just, Hallelujah. I just, <laughs> I just, so I just sit there and wait. Next thing you know, I'd hear um, th- this other company, they, they just stopped answering our emails and, and I need these edits done for, for tomorrow or I'm going to lose everything. Can you please help? And we would with invoice and it's like oh your invoices are too high well we found this other company and repeat the cycle four or five times yeah i mean so it's, it's, it's i got the to end, the point with them let me, let me the, but, yeah let me cap this and i know you're about to explode on with this with thoughts but where i got to them ultimately is i said you know you would probably be a happier person in general and somebody the companies would actually want to work with if you'd spend less time editing your website and more time promoting it, please go ahead, Chloe. Oh, yeah, totally agree with that. Spend more time um, promoting than, than yeah. uh, working on the site. No, I was going to say that it's one of those, the, one of the most difficult things in business is with the, it was the, I'm sure this was true when the internet didn't exist, but with the internet, there is an endless list of things you could do in your business. Absolutely endless. Right. Um, 
you know, I look around my business every day and I see things, oh, I really ought to fix that. I really ought to do that. I really ought to do that. And, you know, I've got, like you mentioned, I'm a best, I am a best-selling author. I've got five books out there. I could market uh-huh. them all, right? But it's not worth my time to market them all. And the success comes from going, what should I do? You know, should I spend an hour working on marketing a book I published almost 10 years ago? Or should I spend an hour working on publishing this week's podcast episode? It's the latter. And it's, you know, not all decisions are that obvious, but time spent really getting to grips with what you should do, as opposed to all the stuff you could do is always time well spent in my, uh, my opinion. And that, that business you're talking about, they needed that written chiseled into the wall of their office do what you should do not what you could do right if you have a book that's 10 years old and i have a book that's four years old at this point i love groundhog days an event not a business strategy i mention it on every single one of my podcast episodes i mention it in all my webinar presentations and it's and concepts within the foundation of pretty much all the work I do. I create that thing to be the primer for somebody looking to get to know me. I designed it to be conversational based on the storytelling format with lessons about how to achieve maximum results through minimalism and essentialism based on fictionalized to protect the guilty stories. I wasn't intended for there to be five editions for, for it to be part of a series or for there to be a version two or version three or version four. In fact, I happen to know the thing has a few typos, one of which is it promises to list five reasons why for something. And then it goes on to list seven because I added a couple in editing and forgot to edit the sentence right before it. I, I also know that there are, uh, that uh, there's a paragraph missing that should have been there that somehow disappeared. I don't care. I'm not even going to bother to re-upload the Kindle file. Well, because, that's the it, book, because, because, because the book itself continues to do its job. It's a conversation starter. People read it and they're supposed to find out what, a, what an interesting guy I am and decide whether my personality resonates with them. The best review I ever got on it, and unfortunately it was sent to me in an email because the person did not use Amazon or anything. He bought it at a, at a book signing event is he said he was sitting out on his patio reading the book and about 10 pages in, he just started laughing and couldn't stop laughing because he heard my voice and knew that that was exactly how I spoke. <laughs> That's like, awesome. Nailed it. That's all that book has to do for me. If I want books on other topics, I'll just create them. Exactly. And, it, you know, you know, you don't need to go back and do that. There's, there's probably a million things you could do with that book, but it's not the right thing for your business at this point in time. And that's right. That's such an important thing for people to understand is to, yes. to separate the could from the should. Yes, please buy it. www.thegroundhogbook.com. You'll love it. Uh, however, uh, that being that being said, uh, read it, enjoy it. Tell me what you think of it. But that's about as far as I'm going to go to promote it. It's it's very existence does more for me, actually. And I want to make this statement here. The very existence of the book does more for me than me actively promoting it ever could. That's a very cool way of looking at it. That, that took a second to sink in, but I think you get where I'm going with that. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're near the top of the hour here. And I know we touched on a lot of mindset stuff and some frameworks for beginning a decision-making 
process, which is about as far as a podcast can typically really go and remain highly valuable to the listener. Now, there may be some out there who are ready for an e-commerce master plan. So I encourage them to visit your website, which is literally ecommercemasterplan.com. And what I want to do here as we wrap up, Chloe, is turn the floor over to you one more time and tell us a bit about how it is that you serve this industry, this community market and audience, and what people can expect when they connect with you. Sure. So best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. Um, as Adam said, you can find everything I'm up to at ecommercemasterplan.com. Currently, I'm not doing any coaching or consulting. That There's some interesting things planned for the end of this year, but I can't tell you what they are yet. Um, but most of what I'm doing right now is um, speaking at events and uh, the two podcasts. We've got the e-commerce master plan podcast where every Monday we put an interview with a different e-commerce retailer live from fresh, exciting startups right the way through to multi-million dollar D to C successes. And then every Wednesday on the Keep Optimizing podcast, we share an expert telling you the latest tips and tricks on a key marketing method. And to make it a bit easier for you, each month we focus on one marketing method and have a number of experts focusing in on um, different areas of that. So yeah, that's that's me all at ecommercemasterplan.com. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you sharing with us. And Chloe Thomas, thank you so much for being with us. It's been an honor and believe me in education. It's been lovely. Thank you, Adam. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, Have a great day. Take care.